0: The world has changed. Think of how busy you were last December, at this time last year. All the events that you had to catch, the school programs, the community happenings, the gatherings with friends, and all of those other things. This year, many of them aren't going to happen. Or people will look down at you for doing them, trying to do some semblance of normalcy from, to keep on as last year. In the past, when walking into a store, you'd be greeted with a friendly hello, or maybe this time you'd be greeted with a Merry Christmas from somebody else, or at least a neutral interaction from others. But now it's different. Every interaction is being assessed. You look around to see who's following the rules and who's the threat to the public health. It's not as simple as it once was. Or if you're of a different conviction, then you look around to see who is blindly giving up their freedom without realizing what's going on, and who's the other freedom fighters here in our midst. I'd be willing to guess, most people are somewhere between the two. But we see this tension in our world around us here. Let's face it, the world has changed. You never would have imagined this being reality 12 months ago. And we could spend more time explaining how the world has changed this year, but I'll leave that for you to do some other time. I have a question for you, though. What caused this change? What was it, what is it, that has disrupted our lives so violently, so forcefully to cause us to no longer look at one another as fellow human beings, but a threat to human health? Is it a virus? Is it the media? Is it politics? All of these things have been around for a lot longer than the last 12 months. None of these things are new. So, what has changed to lead to this pandemic that we find ourselves in? Fear. Fear of death, fear of illness. Fear of passing the virus on to someone else, fear of losing our freedoms, fear of the unknown, and the list goes on. And I'm not saying there is no place for this fear, or this fear is all uh, unmerited fear. But we recognize how fear has gripped us. If there wasn't risk and if there wasn't fear, no one would take this virus seriously, the world would have continued on as it has always been doing, doing its own thing. People would have gotten sick, but that's just part of the circle of life, we would have said. But fear has gripped the world, and it seems that it won't be letting go anytime soon. Look at the amount of change caused by this virus, caused by this fear. It's intriguing, to say the least. It makes me ask the question, what would it look like if we treated every other threat in the same way? What would it look like, switch gears a little bit, if we treated spiritual threats in the same way that we've responded to the coronavirus? What if we spent the same amount of energy looking after our own souls, or our souls, and the souls of our neighbors? What if we loved them enough to proclaim the gospel to them? In his second, second letter, Peter cautions his reader about a very real threat that is lurking around us, that is lurking around them, that has continued to lurk around since, ever since before Peter has written this letter. It's a very real threat with eternal consequences, one that the world loves to just ignore. And Christians haven't been much better about it, though. At least we certainly haven't been responding with the same COVID-like response to this reality Do we really believe it? Do we really recognize the danger that is very real that can come in a blink of an eye? Are we taking it seriously? Or is it something that we like to keep on the back burner for when we'll need it in the future, whenever that is? I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. So I read verses 1 through 18. And as we read this passage, I invite you to consider Peter's words, recognizing this is the word of God. This is true for now and for always. I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word if you're able. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this first of all that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, The present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with the roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, We are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of Scripture, to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Father God, these are your words. Your word is truth. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. Stir in our hearts, Lord, cause to our minds to be reminded again of who you are, what you have said, and what you have revealed. Help us to believe these truths, Lord. Help us to be on our guard. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge. Help us to be diligent to be found in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Peter ends this letter with a command for his readers Be on your guard. It's another command here. It's not up to our own uh, whether we want to do it or not. It's something that every leader, every reader is called to. Whoever you are, wherever you are, however old you are, God calls us to this universally here. It's a call to be on guard against something. And that something is explained for us in verse 17 be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness peter had mentioned false prophets in chapter 2 if you remember reading that chapter earlier who were promising freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption they're promising something that they don't have themselves that they can never offer they're proclaiming to the people a message that they wanted to hear A message that they wanted to believe. A message that allowed them to act however they wanted to act. A message that allowed them to believe whatever they wanted to believe. A message that allowed them to follow their passions wherever it takes them. And to say this is good and glorious and honoring in God's sight. To do what seemed right for them. It's a message we hear today. And all too often, unfortunately, it's a message that is still being proclaimed from pulpits around our own country, saying, do what you want. Don't worry what God has said, but follow your own passions. Do what you want. It's the error of unprincipled men and women which are leading people to abandon their own steadfastness, to abandon their own study of God's word, lulling them to sleep, calling them, causing them to lower their guard before they know it. They're swallowing a poison to their souls that's leading them straight to their damnation. But we don't care because at least the poison tastes good and we want more. Be on guard, Peter says. In the beginning of the chapter, he writes, to stir up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And here we're reminded again of the truth and told to think clearly about our present situation. Think clearly about every message you are being told. Think clearly about the doctrine you're being fed and to remember the words spoken beforehand and what are those words by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Think clearly, remember God's word. Go back to God's word. Remember the word of God. Remember the truth that was delivered once and for all to all the saints. Remember what God has spoken and study it. Remember the truth, again, that was delivered to you. In Peter's first letter, we're reminded to fix our hope completely on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix our hope on that thing. And now in this letter, Peter has to reiterate what he's already said because the people were doubting if that revelation of Jesus Christ was really going to come. They had been waiting for years. They had heard for decades that Jesus was coming again and they were waiting. They heard Jesus is coming again soon and very soon. And yet their friends would live and they would die. And Jesus still hadn't come back yet. They were wondering, is Jesus ever going to come back? The mockers and the scoffers have been asking that question for centuries. Telling us, reminding us, saying, hey, you said Jesus was going to come back soon. It hasn't happened yet. He's never coming back. Believers are beginning to cave in. They're turning their attention from that grace that was to come, that was to always be in front of their face. Again, doubting whether or not Jesus is ever going to come back. And they needed only to look back to the course of their own lives, to look to their experiences, to see that what the mockers were claiming in verse 4, for ever since our fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Saying, you know what, there's something to what they're saying. The world continues on, as it always has throughout my lifetime, throughout your lifetime, throughout the lifetime of my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. Keep going all the way back to the time of Christ. Life continues on as it is. There is nothing new under the sun. It's the same old, same old. But it's the same old, same old thing hear what happens. We look back to our lives and we start to wonder, God, it's been 31 years. You really coming again? For Edna, who turns 95, God, it's been 95 years. When are you coming? I've been waiting a long time. Is Jesus coming? Only to live your whole life to never see his return It's been the experience of every Christian since Christ's ascension. They've died without seeing his return. So who are we to think that he's really going to come back this time? What makes us so right? History has proved that it's all a lie. That's what the scoffers are saying. As we look back at our own lives, we see, you know what, there's some credit to what they have to say. And it causes us to doubt the eternal hope that we have. It causes us to abandon Christ and his word and for a life of passing pleasures here in this world. The mockers and the scoffers will ask, where is the promise of his coming? Show me the proof. And when's he going to do what he said he would do? And the assumption is that God has forgotten about us down here. Just look in the world. See all the bad stuff that's going on. There's your proof. Where is this almighty, all-powerful, all-loving God when we see what we're going through? When's he going to do what he said he would do? He's forgotten about his promise. Either that or he is completely uninvolved in life. It sets up this God as some far-off deity who doesn't really care about us at all, doesn't care what's going on in life. The song came out in September of this year as a prayer from all of us down here on this earth calling God, saying, God, we need you. Come in and and hear our prayers and come and, and act on our behalf now. Where are you, God? And the song is a touching song, but it also gives that impression that God isn't at work in this world today. He's up there, and we had better pray and fast and do all kinds of whatever things that come to our mind so that God would intervene and act here in this world. Again, as though God is distant and he isn't here today. That he isn't at work. Giving us the picture that God only comes to our aid when he's prompted to. When he's begged. This is the God that we serve. Yet that's not how God's word has revealed God to be. Or who God is. In verse 5, Peter reminds us that God was the one who spoke the world into existence. There wasn't anyone saying, Hey God, if you could say a few things, that would be really great. If I could have some stuff around me now. No, God moved by his own volition, his own will and determination, said, I'm going to speak. I'm going to make this world happen. And it was. God wanted to see all of creation, and so he spoke it into existence. God created Adam and all the animals. Adam didn't say, you know, God, something's missing here. Could you help me out? No, God saw that there wasn't a helpmate for Adam, and he created Eve. Eve. He didn't wait for Adam to say, you know, I've tried all these other things and nothing's really working. I'm lonely. Can you come in and help me out? God works without our prayers. God is always at work in our lives. And then, again, at the flood, Noah wasn't praying, God, this place is a train wreck. Can you start over again, please? Noah is told by God, this is what I'm going to do. And God saves him and all of his family. God, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and they were ashamed of themselves, guilty. God is the one who speaks the promise of the gospel saying, this is the plan. Trust me, I'm going to make everything all right again. God is the one who moves entirely by grace. and He has promised to us that Savior. God never stopped being involved in this world. He has always been involved. He has provided for our needs daily. The air that we are breathing right now, God provides. The food that we eat, God provides. The safety and security we enjoy comes from the hands of God. The weather that we enjoy, the seasons, the sunrises, the sunsets, all of these are because God is at work in the world around us. The mockers will tell us and ignore God's hand in creation and say, that's just Mother Earth doing her thing. God set it into motion, but he doesn't really care what's going on. But God is daily providing for your needs, for your physical needs. You're also your spiritual needs, too. God is actively involved and engaged in this world, so much so that he even took on flesh to put his own skin in the game, quite literally. Literally. As Paul writes in Galatians, and when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son so that he might redeem those who were under law, that we might receive adoption as sons. God has been at work in this world calling us back to himself since the very beginning, actively working out our salvation, delivering us from sin, delivering us from death and from the devil. And he's at it still today. And this is why Jesus hasn't returned Yet, look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Every day we've been given that Christ does not return doesn't mean that he isn't returning. It doesn't mean that he has forgotten Every day we've been given that Christ does not return means that God is graciously and patiently waiting for more souls to be saved and that he is still at work in our hearts, in our lives, in our world today, calling people to repentance and faith. He is still at work transferring them from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved Son so that when Jesus returns, they'll be ready. He hasn't forgotten. He is still at work saving souls. The time is coming, though, when the Lord will destroy the heavens, the earth, and all of its works. Everything that we work so hard to accomplish here on this earth is going to be brought to nothing. That job that you've been putting so much time and energy and focus into won't be around anymore. The trophies, promotions, social standing, whatever else it is that we spend so much time chasing after in this life isn't going to be around And here is the one that we don't want to think about, but we must think about. The people around us, the ones that we care about and we love so dearly. If they don't know Jesus, if they don't believe in Him, they too will perish. And what about you? How will it be for you? Will the God that you're pursuing be able to save you? Will the God that you believe in be able to rescue you? And if that God is anything other than Jesus Christ, and the Christ revealed to us in Scripture, that God is useless. So do you know Jesus? The Christ of Scripture. God Almighty in the flesh who came to save and redeem you. Is he the Christ of scripture or is he the Messiah of your own concoction? Jesus is coming again and when he does, it'll be a day of judgment and destruction for all who are trusting in other gods. You recognize the danger behind those words, behind this truth. We ought to be acting or responding in a much more urgent way than the coronavirus response. This is the very real danger that Peter is warning us about. Remember what God has said, remember who Jesus is, and don't let anyone, false teachers, or even your own false ideas and assumptions and beliefs turn you away from this truth. He is coming again, He is coming soon. So since everything in this life is temporary, the question comes, does it even matter how we live in this life? It's all gonna burn up anyways. Yes it does. Peter says how we ought to live here. Be holy in conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And a godly life is a life that is lived in submission to God. A godly life is a life that is lived in faith before God as well. And it doesn't necessarily look like you have all your ducks in a row. A godly life doesn't mean that you'll never sin again. But when we sin, we run to Christ in repentance and forgiveness. A godly life is a life in submission to all of what God has said. Not just avoiding sins, but to all the different one another commands in Scripture that he has called us to. Confess your sins to one another. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. These are things that God has called us to. This is what a godly life looks like. And we do this because he is coming again soon. We aren't living for this world and for this life alone. We're not living for our own status, for our own comfort alone. But what he writes in verse 17, according to God's promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Because our hope is beyond this temporary life, we can say no to the desires that our flesh puts in front of us. We can say that we are looking forward to a fuller, a longer, a much greater satisfaction than this world will ever offer. A place where righteousness dwells, where there is no curse of sin. And because of this, or therefore, as it says in verse 14, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. And that peace only comes from one place. Being spotless and blameless is only found in one place. Being holy is only found in one place. And it's not by our own actions or our own merit, but that holiness is God-given by trusting in Jesus, whose blood cleanses us from all sin, who gives us to us his own righteousness. And by trusting in Jesus, who himself has made peace with God on our behalf, by trusting in the one who has given to us the Holy Spirit, who is constantly at work in our lives, giving us faith and forgiving us our sins. All of this is a call to faith in Jesus, our crucified and risen Savior and coming King. We don't stop there, though. To be made sure that we are in peace, to be diligent, to be found in peace, spotless and blameless. We don't just say, all right, I've done enough, or I've received it enough here. We can't afford to just stay in place. There is no staying in place. We have to, as Peter concludes, or if we're going to be biblical Christians here, again, this is a command for every Christian, regardless of your age, ability, standing, whatever it is. In his letter, Peter writes these words, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what God commands us to do, each one of us, to continually and always be growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus because that danger of falling from our own steadfastness is real. And we fall away before we even notice it. When we find ourselves in a place where we don't care anymore about that sin, we're not going to confess it, we're not going to repent it, repent of it. It doesn't bother us. The danger is real, and it's lurking around. So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The drifting away from the one who saves us to follow after other ideas is far more deadly than any virus or any terrorist can bring. Beware, Peter writes, and grow. Be diligent to be found in Christ. Recognize and reject the false teachings. So why does this matter? It matters because the coming of Jesus is coming. The Lord comes, and when he does, because he is coming again, when he comes, the earth and all of its works will be burned up. The danger is real, and it will affect everyone living on this earth instantaneously at the same time. So look for Christ's return. The temptation for us is to be complacent, to be lazy, to be content with where we are, where we've been, or whatever it is that you've done. Yet that's not what God demands of us here in his word. He calls us to continually grow. So take those necessary precautions. Study God's word. And don't be lazy or complacent. Don't chase after those things that won't last. But pursue Christ. Study his word. Live how he has called us to live. Grow in him. Share this message with those around you, those people that you care so deeply about. And even the ones you don't care for as well. Because Christ is coming again. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for your word and for its truth. Lord, we pray that you would light a fire behind us, underneath us, inside of us. That we would recognize that you are coming quickly, that each day that you don't come back, Lord, is a day of grace which you have given to us to proclaim your word, to share with the lost and dying world, Lord. Lord, a world who will see the end of destruction and will perish for all eternity, Lord, if they don't know you. We pray that you would give us a love for lost souls, a passion for reaching the lost as well. Father, that you would bring this love and compassion in our own hearts, that we would have your eyes, that we would have your compassion. Father, we pray that you would teach us to study your word, to learn your word. Father, forgive us for our complacency. Forgive us for our laziness. Forgive us, Lord, for not doing the work that you have called us to do. But God, we also thank you and praise you for providing a Savior for us, for our fallenness, for our sinful ways who has come to cleanse us and forgive us and to give us your righteousness. We praise you for that hope. Lord, may we bring this message to all of those around us that there is forgiveness and salvation with you and with you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.